today, this is just going to be the ramblings of a madman. <clears throat> so, I'd like to say that my mind has completely gone blank right now. <laughs> I, like, I had this whole thing I was rehearsing to myself. And as soon as I pressed record, I was like, Dink. I'm like, okay, thank you. Thanks, brain. So, <clears throat> I guess I think the thing I want to start off with, or at least the first thing that's kind of recoming back to my mind is, obviously I talk about mental illness a lot. It affects so much of my life has affected so much of my life and used to have a unique grip on my life. But I don't think there's something that most people who don't have some form of mental illness understand more than people who don't experience one is that you'll notice that people who are depressed, and I do specifically mean about depression, is that they often spend a lot more time alone and they're more, I don't want to say antisocial, but cautious about who they are inviting into their life. And most cases that I've met Meant. Most cases of people I've met in terms of their mental health, with specifically with depression and de persistent depressive disorder, is when it comes to being selective of who's coming in your life, it's because, or, I mean, not, not always, not always true, but in most cases, people, they don't have the best experiences with people when it comes to their interactions with them, whether it be trauma-based or other. And as such, when we invite someone into our life, like we don't intentionally like give the whole 20 questions and keep you at like six feet distance from me at the closest. It's, it's like you really have to like ingrain yourself in there to get really comfortable and trust that person. And then there's still this lingering thought that at any moment, that can turn on you. Like, oh, I've trusted this person now. Now they're just gonna cut and run or whatever. Or will weaponize their experiences against you. And when it comes to depression and having these tra specific traumas happen to you, it rewires your brain essentially because now you have this heavy, anxious voice telling you that people aren't worth it. One of the things I hear most from people who had these experiences will just say, I'm comfortable being alone. And that's not the case. People still want connection. People still want to find purpose and longing and companionship and community. 
It's just the wrong people have taken advantage of a good person. And as such, it's easier to be alone and not go through the mental circus of trying to get to know people and be ingrained in with people to do more than that. And I think a lot of people don't understand when you are depressed or had depression or persistent depressive disorder or certain traumas, post-traumatic stress disorder, anything like that, it takes a lot more energy to do a basic thing than it would for anyone else. And it's almost multiplicative when it comes to how many more people there are. Like for myself, my free company on Final Fantasy knows this. Like if there's more than three people, like at the very limit, like four people, my energy is just gone. Like I can go for a little bit of time, but then I'm completely exhausted for the next 12 hours. And because in my mind, I am trying to understand and communicate with all the different personalities of people that there are. Trying to be friendly and outgoing and then be social at the same time. But then also have to stop myself because it's not an impulse thing. It's just that my filter is very different because I don't care about saying certain things. Not in like a politically incorrect way, but just... There's not like a censorship. If I'm going to call someone a dick, I'm just going to call them a dick. I'm not going to skirt around the word. Um, and so as a result, like I have to like fine tune all sorts of my interactions as they're happening, like micro optimizations. And when it's more than like three additional people, obviously more than like three more people plus myself. Um, I just start hearing a sea of voices and then all sorts of, like, I'll end up having these conversations in my head with these people that aren't vocalized whatsoever. And then now I'm lost in the conversation that I'm having with myself in my head while trying to listen to the conversation. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's just extremely overwhelming. <clears throat> and I think that's common. I'm, I'm sure people aren't phrasing it the way that I'm phrasing it. But that's what it's like for me. Is that I have two distinct modes of operation when I'm engaged with people. And it is, I am social, I am comfortable, and I'm having a conversation with you. Or, I'm quiet. In both of these circumstances, I'm having a conversation... <laughs> It's just depending on if that conversation involves you or not. And not in a bad way. It's just I listen a lot. I'm constantly taking in information. Because that's just what my brain does.
like I said, I'm having a conversation in both circumstances. It's just one of them is vocalized and then the other one's not. And so when you add more people into the context, it just gets more and more exhaustive. I have, with my family and a few friends, have described it as like, you know, we have introvertive personalities and we have extrovertive personalities. I am an introvert for sure. You want me to go outside? No, I'm just going to stay inside. <laughs> you want me to walk to the grocery store? I mean, granted, I'm not doing these things most of the time because of my ongoing issues. But I don't find being outside, like, you know, going out in nature and doing things like that as gratifying. I mean, no, I do. I like doing those things. I love going, I like going for long walks in the middle of the night, <laughs> mostly because I'm alone. <laughs> but I also love the darkness. I like doing things. It's just, it's hard for me to do those things with other people. So it's weird that I am so involved in a game that is so social in so many different aspects. But I enjoy it. I enjoy so many aspects of, let's say, Final Fantasy. I know when it comes to myself. I like being alone. I like being around a small group of people. I like going out and doing things in a lively environment. I just know that the larger the venue, or the more people there are, there's a lot more sensory information that I'm taking in, and I know it's going to be more exhaustive for me after time goes on. Not to say I won't have fun. It's just that, like, my rest and recuperation period is going to be a little longer than most. Like, let's say a night out of, like, drinking for some people, it's just like, oh, whatever. Like, let's, we're good. We can hang out tomorrow. Let's do something social. Let's get brunch. Let's go to the club later. I am not that person. If I am going to, let's say, a nightclub, I'm going to be there, like, three hours, have a couple drinks. I'm like, okay, I'm gone. I'm home. Bye. And then I, like, huddled up in a blanket in my room for three days. Because my rest and recuperation period is different because the energy I spent wasn't physical, it was mental. But going back to what I was saying. People who have had traumatic experiences with individuals in their life who have developed depression or other forms of mental illness <clears throat> aren't comfortable being alone. They're used to it. It's something they're accustomed to. It's the safe boundary if someone's too close, I'm uncomfortable. If someone's too far, I'm uncomfortable. It's just a, it's a fixed range that I can handle. And a lot of people in a similar situation are like that as well. I talk to my mom often about this because 
she is in a very similar situation. And we have to be each other's support system for so much. My mom, ha when something happens that hurts her emotionally, she'll block out everyone, including me, and I have a key to her place, for weeks. <clears throat> but then when she's excited about something, it's overwhelming. And I'm constantly just like, we need to practice being mindful. We need to practice really trying to have healthy communication because shutting everyone out and then expecting them to run to you when you're suddenly having a conversation with them again isn't a good and healthy way to have a conversation. I know when it comes to me socially, when I'm talking to somebody, my brain isn't overloaded. I just have a lot of information that's gone going in and coming out. <laughs> As in, again, I, I really do mean this. Like my free company of people, my good friends on Final Fantasy, <laughs> I think understand like I'm a particular kind of crazy and the core of them understand that, or just understand me and uh, <laughs> have a good relationship and dynamic with me. And I think for people who are kind of unfamiliar with me, like, I don't want to be like, oh, they translate, but they take in the information and they kind of like tweak it a little bit or like, oh yeah, I see where you went and how you got to that point. But let's, I, they were saying this, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and <laughs> it's, it's just funny, like, because again, a lot of information comes in and then a lot more is going to come out. And it's not because the information isn't there, it's just, there's just a lot of information for me. I know I totally sidetracked again. <laughs> but yeah, um, when it comes to being alone, people are just more accustomed to it when you survive traumas, when you have depression, because it's a safe space for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I've described it like a muscle to my brother because he works out a lot, but I've described it as like food to other people. You're not gonna get all the nutrients you need socially and mentally and emotionally by being by yourself all the time you with your friends have your core group let's call that your core meal right you get the particular things that you need from them you know a good conversation a good laugh sometimes a good shocking meme you know you get little tidbits of everything but then you know you do want to have other things that come along sometimes one of those things is romance you're not getting that romance or that romancing aspect that you want when you're only bits of nutrients and vitamins and minerals emotionally are the same three things. And after a while, you realize that you're starving for these things 
and you don't know where to get it. And then that hunger just keeps building and building because the things that you're eating aren't providing you what you need and you're starving. And when you start to reintroduce these things back into your life, it's painful because you were starving. You had this emotional hunger pain. And now you have to learn to process it all over again. And that's awful and scary. But it's okay. There's nothing wrong with wanting more than what you currently have emotionally. The people who are your support system today aren't always going to be your support system because sometimes you need more. Not in a greedy way, but in a fine-tuning way. Just because you can tolerate and deal with something and you've become accustomed to it and acclimized to it doesn't always mean that it's the healthiest thing for you. Did I say, did I say easiest? Not the best. Not the optimal thing for you. When it comes to our support systems, we have to establish healthy boundaries with them. Like, I know it sounds awful, but like, my mom has me listed as, as her emergency contact information. Like, her emergency contact if anything happens. Granted, I'm the only person in her life at this point. So I know when these things are going to happen, but like the reverse for that isn't true. And I've told my mom this and she knows why and she understands why. But I told her like, you haven't been remotely in emergency contact for me in decades. Because in an emergency situation, you are not going to be the person to provide me help when I need it. Which sounds fucked up when you hear it like that, right? But then I explain it to my mom like this. In an emergency situation, I don't want to endanger somebody else. If it is beyond that person's capability to do something to help me, and it's going to result in them being hurt and harmed, it's not worth it involving them. If something happens to me, it's going to hurt you way more than you think it's going to. If I need a nurse, if I need a doctor, if I need an emergency surgery, 
I'm not going to call a paramedic to perform complex surgery on me. I'm sure that they can do a lot of things to keep me alive and repair damage that's done and stuff. That is their job. There's, they need to do what is necessary as a stopgap measure. Mom, you would not be the surgeon, the doctor, the nurse, or the EMT in the situation. You wouldn't be providing a stopgap measure. You would just start bleeding too. And I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to create two victims out of a bad situation. And when she started to think about it in that aspect, she started to, uh, she started to understand why I felt that way. Because her mental health is so vapid that if she remotely thinks I'm having a bad day or I'm too sick or I don't know, sometimes she gets in her head that like my particular relationships with people have gone sour and she just starts thinking about it and going crazy about it. It's just like, I don't give her any information. I'm not withholding information. I tell her everything because I'm not trying to <clears throat> have her anxiety swing one or the other. If I don't say anything, it's too much information. If I say too many things, it's too much information. So I just tell her the exact amount of things with all the detail in a fixed box. And I'm like, mom, this is our box of information. Nothing's coming in or out of this. This is just what it is. But again, she's a whole caseload. So But we're, we just become accustomed and acclimated to these things, you know, being alone, being antisocial, having a particular support system that's not very supportive. Because trying to switch out the, the individual parts is a lot of work. Let alone, we don't have the tools and the skill set most of the time to be able to switch these things in and out seamlessly to grow. And I feel like a lot of us have a very unhealthy relationship with what we think a good support network is. Again, it's fine to switch out the pieces and dessert's good. <laughs> Going back to this food example, try a little bit of everything. You can figure out what you don't like. And then the things that you know that you do like, we got to pair them with things that we know we need as well. But being alone and starving yourself emotionally isn't going to put you in a situation that makes you happy. That makes you feel fulfilled. I am comfortable being alone. For me, it's not a prison. It is a nice room that helps isolate the outermost, outlier layer of thoughts that I have. 
to a more concentrated, comfortable area where I can explore them healthily and do it in silence. I know a lot of people have this thing where like they don't like uncomfortable silences. If I'm in the same room with you and I'm super comfortable with you and I can just go in and out of conversation with you or I could just be quiet with you for like hours, I love that. I don't need to have the conversation keep going when it doesn't need to. But I know other people aren't like that. They need that constant conversation. But again, it's all about establishing and figuring out what you need the most to truly get what you need out of your friendships, conversations, emotionally, mentally, for your support network, romantically. Because I know so many people who have gone through things similar to I have, who are depressed, who feel alone, and some of them don't realize that they are pushing themselves into a corner and truly, truly alone. And as much as I wish I could run over and rescue them and try and love them to be the, to the best of my ability to help them, I know that I can't. I can just do the best that I can do for myself and do the best that I can do for my relationship with them. It's not always the same thing, but it's establishing what I need and what they need and seeing where we can like put the pieces together and make it work. Adulthood is crazy like that. It's just trying to figure out how to make it work most of the time when all these pieces are just crazy. Well, I'm going to cut it short here because I feel like if I start thinking I'm just going to go on for another 20-something minutes of rambling and just off-trailing somewhere. But it's okay to be alone. It's okay to have alone periods. It's okay to have social periods. It's okay to be social. Just do it in a way that makes you happy. Do it in a way that is gratifying. Do it in a way that provides you long-term successes. For me, planning for long-term success is extremely hard. But I know if I do my best and try my best every single day with all of my interactions, I know I'm going to be tired and exhausted at the end of it. But I know that I'm building towards a strong network of support for myself and the people in my life. And I think that's the key thing to take away. 
yeah, I'm alone in my apartment right now. I've got the fan on. I've got, <laughs> it's winter and I've got the fan on and the windows open. <laughs> because to me, that's kind of what being alone is like for me. It's like the nighttime. It's like winter. It's like cool breeze. It's refreshing to me. It's like hitting the mental refresh button so I can start again and be like, okay, I'm energized. I can do this. I'm that, when I'm alone, it's like opening a new tab in your browser. I can go anywhere because it's the start of a new day. It's, an art of, it's the start of a new day. It's the start of a new day. It's a new page. I can do anything. And if I need to go back and fix some things, I can do that. If I need to check in where I last left off, I can do that. It's just a good mental refresh. And then I can figure out all the things I need from there. Either way, um, thank you for listening. And I hope all of you have a wonderful day.